Hi, Leah here. Just very quickly, a little little tiny quick note before we start. Uh, most of this episode was recorded live in front of an online audience and for the first 15 minutes there was some technical trouble that means we've had to use the Zoom backup recording just for that first 15 minutes and then just like a little tiny bit later on as well. But anyway, it's fine. It doesn't even sound all that bad. Right. This episode is all about negotiating and knowing your worth and making sure that you can reach your worth and all that sort of thing. But a lot of it is like my understanding of what I'm worth has been born out of many, many years of not really knowing and having to try and figure it out from, well, I mean, Nick, how, how did you first work out your worth, like your actual, the <laughs> amount of money that you should charge the people for the voiceover work that you do? Um, it's very much related to the amount of shoes I buy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Um, do you know, I asked people like I am the first one to get on the phone and be like, what's the crack here? <laughs> Just asking people. Um, the older I get, the more experienced I get. Weirdly, though, I don't know if anyone else in the room feels this, um, but the less valid I the less I sort of feel like I'm allowed to ask about rates. Like I should know what to ask. I should know by now. But mm. I feel like it just changes all the time, and that's really hard. So I've always just really asked people. Yeah, uh, sort of started with the equity red card a little bit as well. But the more you delve into it, the more people have things to say about that. Sometimes. Yeah, they do. They do have opinions about like whether mm. the rate card is right um, or it should be that at that rate. Uh, I when I first started working out how much to charge is like 10 years ago and um, there were no gravy for the brain rate guides there was no GVAA rate guides for mm. US listeners there was, there was there was just none of it nothing and so we would have to um, I, I, I searched voiceover rates uh, and looked around other voiceovers websites and one woman who I can't remember the name of now but one woman had put all her rates on there and I was like oh maybe that's how much I should charge then and then every time I had to quote for anything I was like trying to figure out okay well if it's going there and it's used that much then does that feel right and every basically every time I quoted from I, I added this woman's numbers that she'd figured out to the numbers that I thought seemed right, um, like or in, sort of interwove them and turn them into this document of like, maybe this is how much to quote that I called. I think I called it something like that. Um, <laughs> it's, some, it's still somewhere in my laptop. Um, but it was it was such a like a gradual process of working out, like a growing into something that sounded like a sensible rate that was in my own head. Um, the other thing that I think has changed quite a lot over the years I've gone from not knowing and trying to figure out and being pretty confident that I know how much to charge for most things at this point is how I communicate with people um, when I'm telling them. So in the olden days, I would be like, well, there's no reason to talk to anybody differently if they're professional or if they're just my friend. And I'd be like, signing off emails, love from Leah. And I'd be like, <laughs> exclamation marks. And of course, Kiss. like being, yeah. Um, and of course, being a, being a woman, I would be like, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I'm fine if not, no worries if not. And all that sort of nonsense. And so- Sorry for my asking, little lady words. Yeah, little lady words. In your little inbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as the um as the as the years went by and I became less prepared to just tolerate any nonsense from myself or from anybody else I would first of for a little while there I was writing out my emails with all the excuses and then um, um is it is okay if it's okay um and just gapping <laughs> um and and then I would like strip that out and I'd just I'd, I'd go from an email like this full of exclamation marks to like this saying this is what it is this is how it is thanks very much um, Liam, one exclamation mark maximum. 
that's how my my communication style, style has changed and now I don't need to do the stripping out now I'm like stripping it in my head mm-hmm. as I as I write no 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 that's how I go it's funny, that's how, I go. It's funny how you edit yourself as well isn't it you mm-hmm. are right like as I sometimes write things and then I go through and I de-feminize it Mm. and add in like you know burps and farts (laughs) pint emojis Um, (laughs) but I'm definitely I think in terms of communication I'm definitely more like this is my rate and that's kind of it (laughs) like either take it or leave it Um, which is a a strength thing that comes from years in the business you know it's like before it was definitely of course I'll just do that 98th revision even though I did exactly what you asked for you know um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I definitely feel in a stronger position and more confident in my abilities and I try to allow that to inform the style of copy but I do prefer just talking to people on the phone because otherwise you're back and forwards and back and forwards and we work in the voice industry so we might as well use our voices yeah I, I remember um there was one job where I uh it was it was it was for for a podcast and so as we all know podcasts are quite difficult to quote for because it's such a new industry it's hard to know exactly what amounts to mm. what amount I mean we did we did cover this in I've forgotten the name of it now Leah from the future can you pop in and say what the name is of the episode <laughs> the number is She's of the episode that we <laughs> covered um this in Hi Leah from the future here it was episode 42 imaging and how on earth to quote for podcast work but um, but uh, I kind of had an idea what I thought would be the right amount of money that I wanted to earn from doing this. And I didn't know how to write it in an email. And then the client phoned me up and was like, right, how much do you get out of bed for? <laughs> and we just had a whole chat about it and, and settled oh. on a price that, we, that worked for both of us. And this is a huge company. And so I didn't feel like embarrassed about it, really, because I felt like I could just say, well this is it this is the money and if it did feel easier on the phone to talk that through rather than worrying yeah. about how like that word or that punctuation mark is going to um uh, communicate to itself yeah because it's so dependent on their mood if they're having a crap day and they say an exclamation mark they'll be like who is this idiot with all the exclamation marks Ugh, yeah. why are they shouting at me <laughs> yeah. whereas if they're having a nice day they might be like oh she seems fun nah. so like we can't control how people take it in um no. i i did recently i feel like sometimes i get rewarded when i say no to low ballers uh, so like uh and if anyone else like agrees with this, pop it in the comments. But like, I've been working with this company for like 10 years and they were paying half of what should be industry standard. But they were my first ever client. And I was like, well, like I feel a bit of loyalty and it kind of emotionally attached to it. And eventually I was like, hang on a wee second here. Mm-hmm. I've been working for you for like 10 years. This is ridiculous. And I just wrote to them and I was like, uh, hi, you know, I'm just checking. Like I've been working with you for this long. Great relationship. Love working for you. I wondered if there's any wiggle room in what you offer because, you know, you are actually half of what is industry standard minimum. And they were like, no. <laughs> so I was like, oh. all right, see you later. Oh. And then two days later, I got like a, a big commercial. <laughs> Woo! I was like, yeah. Oh, that's great. Woo! Oh, it's nice to feel the cheering. Was, the so it wasn't really, it wasn't a negotiation success at all, Simon, uh, but uh, I felt very <laughs> empowered. <laughs> So. I, I think you have to fire uh, some of your worst clients every now and then. I think that's a, a good thing to be doing, Ooh, actually. Fire your worst clients. Now, if anyone's yeah. tweeting, that's a good one. Let's tweet that. Um, so um, I want to like move this forward. So later in the show, we will be hearing from some other people as well as Simon. We're going to be hearing from Equity about a new template contract they've developed for us. And we're going to be hearing the best and the clearest explanation of TVRs that either of us have ever, ever heard. 
It's about bloody time. What does it yeah. even stand for? Am I right? <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, first of all, we're going to have a big old chat with Simon. Hi, Simon. Hello. So, um, Simon has, Simon Horton, to give you your full title, mm-hmm. uh, has been, unless you're a, a sir or a lord that we don't know about yet. Working on it. Working on it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Maybe by the end of this. Uh, Simon Nor- Horton has been negotiating skills trainers for more than a decade now. No, no, he hasn't. Uh, He's not been negotiating oh. skills trainers. <laughs> That's not at all what he's been doing. Oh, well, there we go. Let's start that bit again. It's all, it's, it's all in the enunciation, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> what's it? What I've showed you there is how not to sight read. Ah, okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. And this is how you do do it. Go ahead. Simon Horton <laughs> has been a negotiation skills trainer for more than a decade now. That is the honest truth. Yeah. Uh, he's taught hostage negotiators, top banks and law firms. And the Financial Times published his book, which is called The Leader's Guide to Negotiation in 2016. Simon, because you'll probably do it better than I would. Why don't you give <laughs> us a 30 second rundown on why people should believe you when you say we know, you know what you're talking about? Well, you just done it. You just done the 30 second rundown. Oh, was that <laughs> it? Because I've been teaching negotiation skills for, for 10 years, 15 years, That's actually. Cute. And yes. And uh, I, uh, as you say, I've written the book, Leader's Guide to Negotiation, published by the FT. Just finished my second book, actually, just uh, like this week. F- finished that last full stop this week. So I'm quite pleased about that. And. I'm a visiting lecturer at the Royal College of Art. Um, so, and I've taught negotiation skills in all kinds of contexts. And a common context for my work is fee negotiations. People who are very, very good at their job, but aren't necessarily so confident or skilled or knowledgeable about how to negotiate their rates, their own rates. And this is very common for freelancers across all contexts, but... Um, uh, perhaps especially in, in the creative industries, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so we were talking a little bit back there about uh, how we used to work out our rates and things. Obviously, are a lot easier now that there are rate guides available on the internet for us just to look at and use. But let's talk a little bit about working out how much each of us individually should be charging in the first place. What have you got to say about that? I had a look at Gravy for the Brain. It's very interesting. Um quite complicated you know there's there's a lot of ins and outs to it but actually that's quite useful for you that's good for you because one of the problems around fee negotiations is that they're typically about one figure a one variable which is your fee if the negotiation is about one variable only Mm -hmm. it's set up as a fight Because any penny that you get is going to be at their expense, so they're going to fight it. Any penny they get is going to be at your expense, so you're going to fight it. So if you're just discussing price, which is what most people do, you've set it up basically as an arm wrestle. Who's the strongest? Who's the toughest negotiator kind of thing? And that's not a good place to be. Ultimately, you are looking for a win-win. You are looking for a rate that you're happy with and that your, your client is happy with. And that's not actually possible if there's just one variable. So you do want to identify as many variables as you can and then look for that win-win across the package of variables so that perhaps you give a little bit here but you get back on something else here. You're looking for kind of variables that you value differently. They will prioritize some variables differently to how you prioritize them. And it's in that difference in prioritizations that you can usually leverage to to get an outcome that does suit both people. 
Uh, so some of the common variables, let's say it's an ad, might be uh, the channels that it's being, the, the advert is being broadcast on, uh, the number of listeners, the timing, how long it's going to be going on for, etc. All of those are different variables that you can now start to play with them, especially, by the way, if there's any uncertainty about somebody they're thinking it might run for three months but you never know if it seems to be popular we'll run it for six months or whatever then those kinds of uncertainties just allows you to bring in ways of playing around with those figures to get it to get a solution that suits you so is it, is it your basic service fee is, is that the the, the well the s can stand for session or studio as far as i know but it might be more... session fee right okay but, uh, basic session fee and so th- there'll be a range within that in the market, you've got to work out where you are in that range. Are you new to the market or have you been doing it for 15 years or whatever? And by all means, and we'll we'll discuss this later, think about what you can do to push yourself further up that range. What's the difference between that person who's at the bottom of the range and what's and the person at the top of the range, or even somebody outside of that range? You know, there are some people, Stephen Fry can charge an awful lot more, I'm sure, than what uh, is being quoted on Gravy for the Brain. So what is it that you can do to even push yourself outside of that range? I think that's a really good point just before you carry on about the BSF, because um, I know, I'm sure m- m- many people are the same. You, you set your BSF when you start. And very rarely do you revisit it. Partly for me, it's because it feels like 25 quid is is too much hassle to be to be like bothering clients with a change in price. It seems like too much. However, if you start looking at um, usage and the multiples of that, exactly. then it does add up and it does make it more worthwhile to think about this. Exactly. That £25 increase, that's what, 10% or whatever of your basic session fee. That's a 10% if everything else is a multiplication of that, that's a 10% pay rise you've just given yourself, basically. And you've got existing clients and you've got new clients. New clients don't need to know that you're increasing, that you just tell them, this is my new rate kind of thing. Existing clients, you can kind of send them an email or something like that and say, I haven't increased my rates for a number of years. I do need to increase them or the market has moved. I'm going to be increasing my rates by 10%. However, given that I've been working with you for a while, as a special favor to you, I won't introduce this until June or, or, or whenever it is. You know, give them a kind of a six months warning. Whereas you're giving it to everybody else, you're telling them that you're giving it to everybody else, but for them especially, you're giving them a, a, a six month kind of grace period. Were you going to continue talking? Or uh, I... yes, I was. Yes, yeah. I was. Yep. Yeah. So um, what I recommend doing is writing down four numbers four numbers your ideal rate your very good rate your okay rate and your absolute minimum rate and the ideal rate is it's more than your current basic service fee so let's say your current basic service fee is 300 uh your ideal might session fee sorry sorry uh session fee and then it then your ideal might be 350 or it might be 325. So it's a figure that you can plausibly justify, but you probably don't expect to get, but you can at least justify it. Can I interrupt a second um, there? Um, so this yep. would work uh, for the BSF, sh- sure, but do you want, would you say that it also applies to 
Well, everything else job. is going to be a mul- is, is likely to be a multiplication of the BSF. But yes, it does apply. To, it does apply to per, per per job. Yeah. Um, so if somebody just says, look, forget all of the calculations. Here's a day rate or whatever. It's the same process. It's your 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 ideal, your very good rate, your okay rate, your absolute minimum. Your ideal is something more than what your normal good rate would be. You don't necessarily expect to get it, but you can plausibly justify it. Then your very good rate is the rate that you would be very pleased with. Let's say we're answering, uh, we're, it's an email that they, they've sent us an email and said, here's the job, are you interested, what's your rate? You reply along the lines of, right, well, my rate is, and then you quote your ideal rate. And then you come up with a reason why you're giving them the slightly lower figure of your very good rate. Straight away? In the email, yeah, yeah. So they've, they've, they've emailed you. This is maybe a client that you've already worked with before. They're saying, um, this is the job we've got coming up. What's your rate for this? Yes. And so you let's say, say that- rather than saying, this is my rate, you say, this is my rate. But because you've immediately, because, just because you've emailed me, I'm going to give you a discount straight away. Yeah, because the, the first quote was, was your ideal rate. So let's say, let, let's take an example. Your, B, let, your BSF is, is, is 300. So they, they say, what's your rate? And you say, okay, so my rate is 350. But begin, given that it's you, for whatever reason, you, you bring in a reason. We've worked together in the past, or you promised more work, or you're my mum, or whatever it is. You, <laughs> you, you say, I'll, 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 I'll do it for 300. So, what I'm saying is that you've negotiated down to your very good rate. Does that make sense? And are you doing this every time? Because this, this is presumably going to. What would, what would then happen the following time? You'll probably go with your very good rate again. Um, but you wouldn't go for the ideal rate that you've already set out in that first email. So in that first email, you say, this is what I would normally charge. But because of this reason, um, I'm actually going to charge less. Then the second time they send you a job, you say, are you saying, I'm still going to just charge you less? Or are you yeah, saying, but, 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 bear in mind, what, what we're saying is that that figure that you put in, uh, this is what I normally charge, figure X, that isn't what you normally charge. Okay. That's the, that's, so that's you're the never going to charge that. No, you, you might. Um, you, you absolutely might. What I'm saying that this is a figure that you would really, really love to have, but you don't expect to get. But on the other hand, absolutely try and move it so that you do get it. And this is how you actually move it up to this being your new norm kind of thing. Okay. So, so, so let, let, let's say, let, again, let's take BSF of 300 and let's say you want to shift it up, your, your BSF to, to 325. You would say, so my normal rate is 350 but I'm happy to do it for you for 325. Now, you, you've got, there is here a caveat because uh, there's a danger that, especially if you're doing this by email, that if you have pushed it up to 325, let's say somebody else put in, uh, somebody else also had, was, was asked for their quotes and they, they, they've replied saying, yeah, I'll do it for 275. You might never hear from that client again. You know, you just don't get the work and you only find out you don't get the work when you, well, basically you go past the deadline date and, or, you know, the scheduled recording date and, and you, you've, you've asked them three times, are we doing this? And they've, they've never replied to you because that's what they're like, basically. Uh, so how do you avoid that happening? You can add another sentence just along the lines of, uh, so, uh, but happy to chat about this if you want. Something along those lines. I love that, but happy to chat about this yeah. if you want. Yeah, so that just does communicate to them that you are open for negotiating if that figure, that lower figure that you mentioned, still isn't good enough for them. 
Now, you, you might not want to do that because the problem with communicating that to them is that they might say, yeah, I want to go lower, whereas perhaps they might have accepted that, that figure. So you've got to take a call. Is the risk of l never hearing from them and losing the job completely bigger than your concern about getting your best rate? And that's something you're just working out from client to client, as in based on your previous experience with them, that sort of thing? Yes, that's right. You know, multiple things go into it. You're quite right in pointing that out. There's what am I happy with? And also, what, is it, what do I think this client would pay? How, what's my experience with the client, etc. So I do have a kind of a different rate card for each client. And I do think it through each time. So what I recommend you do is come up with those four figures. If you're replying by email, you've got plenty of time to do that. If you're having a phone call, um, and perhaps we can discuss this, then um, I would write those figures out before the phone call. I would write them in big numbers on a sheet of paper on my desk in front of me as I'm making that phone call. Because Well, can I get a little show of hands then from everyone in the room? Um, I've found that the majority of the communication that I have with clients is via email and it's very, very rare that I would actually talk to them on the phone. Um, can you put up your hand if you would say that that's also you, mostly email? Okay. I mean, I can't see everybody, but that looks like pretty much everyone. How about, um, can you put up your hand if you find that, I mean, a, a, some of your communication is via the phone, like enough that this is very useful to you? Yep, we have one over there, and over there, three. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, there's enough. There's enough. There's enough hands that like this. This is this is a valid. Um, this is a valid line to discuss. I would say that the fact that everybody put their hand up to say that it was the majority by email, I think that's brilliant news because you've all got great opportunities of increasing your rates then, because you you are <laughs> going to do much better on the phone. You're going to negotiate much better on the phone. I, it, it's up to you whether you do it or not. Uh, and there are all kinds of reasons why we stick with email. And I, and I get that. Uh, it's very convenient. It's quicker. All kinds of reasons why we might do it. But you will quite simply, you'll get better results if you negotiate on the phone. So you can build relationship so much better. Human beings, we're, we're social animals. So better face, face to face is better still. If you, if you can meet them for, for lunch somewhere or take them for a coffee or just meet them in their office or whatever it might be, and I know pandemic, it's difficult, and I know even pre-pandemic, it's, it's, you know, quite apart from that, it's difficult. We've all got all kinds of time constraints. They might not be in the same city, etc. But quite simply, human beings are social animals. The more it's face-to-face -to -face that you meet them and in a informal context is better than a formal context if you can't meet face to face a video conference is better than phone if you can't do that phone is better than email which isn't to say that email is bad email has got its benefits without doubt it's got its place but what you're looking for is a is a blend a blend of those different uh, contexts and at any point rather than just always default to email which is what we do Instead, at any point, ask the question, right now, which channel is going to be best for me right now in this negotiation? Rather than just blindly, habitually defaulting to email. Phone or face-to-face -face or whatever builds relationship so much better. It builds trust so much better. It builds, that's, that's trust at a human level, but at a professional level as well. 
You can kind of show your professionalism so much better. You can ask questions. You can query the brief, which will show your expertise. You can ask them questions like sort of, oh, that sounds really interesting. Uh, What's the vibe you're looking for? What's the emotional content you're looking for? All of that kind of thing is going to show you know your stuff. That other person who's just sent an email at a cheaper level might not necessarily know their stuff. Sure, they're cheaper, but they might not necessarily be quite as good. And you can just show that you have fully got your client's concerns. Your client wants to know that the person that they are working with really gets their concerns. I love that. Adding adding a question into the into the conversation that you're having via email or on the phone, wherever it is, just reflecting back those concerns of your client in the form of a question. That yep. is, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And if they go away thinking, yeah, this person's got it, this person has really got it, they will be willing to pay more. They'll be willing to pay more than the market because they have that full trust in, yeah, this person. So, I mean, in... in professional services there's there's the idea of the trusted advisor the trusted advisor is the person who really tries to understand their clients problems and says right i can solve that problem for you and if you you, i can tell you your client have got lots of problems um so if you can show you can solve at least one of their problems for them that they know that yeah that's that's sorted they can trust you they can trust you to deliver on that job they don't have to worry about that they're going to pay extra for that. Email can often be very precise because they can you know, do a really, really clear outline of what the job is and, and the specification, etc. But sometimes it can be very, very vague. And you can't necessarily ask the questions to unvague it, uh, if you like, as well as you can on the phone. On the phone, you can say, oh, what do you mean by this? And they might answer, and their answer might again be vague. And you say, oh, do you mean this or this? Whereas... You can't keep asking questions on email. You might ask it's a question. annoying. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, so other things, things like nuance, emotion, emphasis, uh, humor, sarcasm, irony, none of these come across on, 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 on email. So, um, so I, do, I, I would recommend picking up the phone. Great. Okay. So um, you've, uh, you've communicated your rate to your client by email or by the phone, but there's, there's pushback. They are saying, well, I don't know about this usage business. I've never paid it before. Or they're saying, um, uh, we, we might use it. We don't know. Or we're, we're just saying that's too expensive for us. What's, what, what, how, what, what happens then? How do you say to them, you've got to pay me that money because that's how much I'm worth. Yeah. How do you say that? Yeah. So again, this is another reason why phone is so much better. If, if, they probably wouldn't even say that if it was via email. You just wouldn't hear from them. So you don't have an opportunity to come back to them. But let's say, let's say you, you, you did. Let's say you emailed uh, your first reply and then they've emailed back and said, mm, it's a bit expensive. The first thing to think, if they put it out to the market and they've had a number of replies and then they've come to you and said, oh, I, I liked your demo, how much do you charge? They want to work with you. They've chosen you. And they're probably going to say, look, the guy next door is a bit cheaper, actually. Uh, what can you do with that? They don't want to work with the guy next door. They've kind of already told you that. They told you they want to work with you. That's why they're ringing with you. If they wanted to work with the guy next door, they'd ring the guy next door. So you can feel reasonably confident at that point that if you stick with your rate, that they'll agree with you. They will be the people that will give in. Because bear in mind, it is their job to say this. It's their script 
to say this. It's their script to do that sharp intake of breath thing. You know, they, they, they practice it in front of the mirror uh, and they go on <laughs> courses doing sharp intakes of breath. Um, and so you've got to just bear in mind that it's your, part of your script to basically say no. Diplomatically, politely, it does depend on what they come back with. You know, if, if they're saying, mm, that's not quite within our budget, then can you explore, ask questions, etc., to find out, well, is there a way of you still getting your full worth within their budget by perhaps changing something else, changing scope, or if it's a different market or, what, or, or whatever it might be. Is it like that, the thing you were talking exactly. about earlier at the start about variables? Exactly, exactly. So by exploring, you know, if, if they are coming back with uh, perhaps a real problem, then fine, explore that problem to try and find a way that does suit both sides. What I would very much encourage you to do is to stay focused and keep them focused on the value that you are bringing to them, not how much you are costing, but the value you are bringing to them. They've got an option. They can find a cheapo person on fiverr.com or something. And firstly, never pressurize them. Always allow them that option. Always say, look, yeah, absolutely. If you want to go down that route, then that's fine. You know, if you really do have these budget issues, then that's fine. But also kind of get them thinking either through talking about or asking questions about the impact of what if this mediocre person on fiverr.com does a mediocre job compared to you doing a very very good job you know this this advert campaign or whatever the client isn't doing it just to spend money the client is doing it for a reason they want to promote their organization, their company, their product, their service, or whatever it is. And they want to do that well, and they want to get the best possible return on that. That's why they're talking to you, to get, to get the maximum possible return on this campaign. And so if they get a mediocre person in, well, that advert will probably come across mediocre and it probably won't generate as much return as somebody like yourselves who can bring richness, who can bring life, who can bring the uh, compelling voice to the, the script. So ask them about what are they looking for in the campaign? What, what's, the, what's the purpose of the campaign? Oh, we're trying to launch a new product. Oh, and how important is this new product? Oh, it's massively important. Our next five years depends on the success of this product. Oh, right. So this campaign is really important to you then, isn't it? And you're, all the time you're getting them thinking about how important it is to them. So yeah, they've got to get it right, which means getting in somebody good. Um, and by the way, how do we know who's good? One key way we know who's good is by how expensive they are, paradoxically. You know, if you're a £100 an hour person, they're going to think, hmm, yeah, probably not very good. If you're a £300 an hour person, they're probably thinking, oh, no, this person's good. From the, from the conversation you were having with the imaginary client there just then, you were saying, oh, yeah, so it's important to you, is it? That's interesting. Um, would, would you say that that's how you need to have that conversation is hinting what if they don't get the hint can you just be outright and say if you employ somebody on fiverr then your campaign isn't going to work as well because they're not going to be as good how how explicit do you think you can be without people going well yeah no, it's, a good, it's a good good question um interestingly it's actually more powerful if you do it on a question-based method uh because they do the thinking themselves 
and they come the, to the answer themselves. So they will own it more. And after a while, they'll go, no, you're right. We, we need to do this properly. If you tell them that, it's a bit more of a sale. It's a bit more of a mm. selling job, a pitch kind of thing. Uh, and so they're more likely to be resistant to it. But that doesn't mean that you can't do that. You know, um, also, this works at an organizational level and it works at an individual level. So the client is an organization and they're launching this product, as an example, and this campaign is important to them. But it's important for the individual as well that person running that campaign, their promotion, their pay rise, their reputation within the organization, their CV is dependent on the success of this campaign. So again, it's important to them individually. Now, they won't say this, of course, but that's probably how they're going to make their decision. So bear that in mind. Um, I want to make sure that we get one thing in because when we spoke um, before the workshop, you and I, you said something that absolutely blew my head off and I made a note of it and I want to make sure that everybody else gets to hear it as well. And it's ridiculous because I'm sure that most of the people in the room already know this sentence. But it was one of the things that you suggested to me when I asked about uh, clients pushing back on rates. So we talked about variables more generally, but you also said to me something about a rebate. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So often clients dangle the carrot of lots of work coming your way if you just give us a good rate on this one and you go oh yeah brilliant brilliant all of that work fantastic i can retire in two years time on the basis of that (laughs) Um, and of course the work doesn't always materialize sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't so rather than an agree to a discount a bulk discount that uh, starting from now give them a rebate when it materializes. So say, oh, fantastic, all of that work sounds brilliant. Love to work with you on that basis, brilliant. What we'll do, we'll stick with this rate as it is, but I will give you that 10% as a rebate when that bulk work materializes. Along similar lines, you can give a discount after the job if they are dissatisfied. So you can be saying, listen, I know my worth in the market. I know where I am in the market. I've been doing this for 15 years. I know that you can't get somebody as good as me at less than this rate. You've got a different opinion on that. You think that the job is only worth this little bit lower. And I get that and I understand that. How about we do this? We'll agree to the rate that I'm asking. And then if at the end of the job, you're not happy with it, then I'll bring it down to that. They would have to be such scumbags to get to the end of that <laughs> whole much. process and be like, pretty much. Yeah, sorry, it sounds great, but not that good. That's right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What you can do is you can reduce the price of an item rather than the whole job. Or you could do it for a fixed period of time. You could say, look, for the first month, I can give you this reduction, but I can't beyond that or, or, or whatever. Because what you, what you want to do is avoid the always and everywhere discount the 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 discount that then becomes the new baseline and they always expect that from there onwards and so giving it on a reduced time period or reduced service kind of thing on, on a smaller part of it can be a way of doing that just a couple of other things other things that you can do there one is don't use round figures don't 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 have 300 pounds 
have 295 or 297 or 302 pounds 23 or you know something like this it is are people not wise to that at this point like all those um dfs adverts going only 999,999 pounds for this so for everybody in the next five seconds it feels like that we're all we all know that's what's happening yeah i was just about to buy it from you as you were saying that so (laughs) it works it works um even it's it's just an it's a cognitive bias it works so if you if you say 300 pounds they're going to go Mm, that that figure was kind of taken from 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 the midair kind of thing. Oh, why, so you know why, why three hundred? Why not two fifty? Why not two seven five? Blah blah blah. But if you have a spreadsheet and you uh, say, well, hold on, let me let me calculate this. Mm, mm, I can I tell you what I can do. I can do it for two eight seven uh, seventy five uh, or something like that. And it just makes it less challengeable. The spreadsheet adds credibility to it. Another along similar lines, if you're going to discount and let's say that there's a real haggle going on, it is a real arm wrestle, you can give reduced gaps. So no more than three discounts. Let's say you've gone in at 300 and they've said, oh, that's way too much, 250. And you say, look, can't give you 250. Uh, I can give you, uh, I can bring it down to 290. Uh, And then they're saying, no, 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 I still can't do that. And you say, okay, I can bring it down to 285. And then, right. and, and then, so the gaps are reducing in size and, each time. Exactly, and and the last one, the third one, would be the last one, and that might be uh, two eight two fifty or something like that. Right. Um, and that reduced gaps communicates to them you really can't go below below that. Oh, and one last thing: if you know these are evil clients that always try and push you down, that add ten percent before giving them a five percent discount. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, well, we have not got all the time in the world, so let's just see. I don't know if there's any uh, questions in the chat yes, as we went along. Um, um, it's me, Nick, from the chat. Uh, Melanie, from the chat. Melanie Crawley had a couple of questions. Okay, so, so Melanie, Melanie, Mel, switch, uh, un- unmute yourself. Hello. Okay, if you're pitching for a job on a pay-to-play site, so some of them, um, they might have a budget and you might have the opportunity to then pitch lower or even higher than that. Mm. Um, So uh, that you can't call them, you can't speak to them about this. It's on an email Mm. and it's not even in a proper email. And so how do you, what my question is, how do you avoid the race to the bottom to try and secure the job? How do you keep your rate or even better than that, get get a better rate than that? really difficult and this is why they're doing it although I don't think it actually serves them in the end uh no because you're right it's just a race to the bottom basically so um and that's the nature of these things and it's really really difficult you've got to find a way of standing out however you might do that whether it's through credentials or whether it's through previous clients that you've worked with it could be things like um so this goes back to that thing of how do we increase our position in that range? And if you can get whatever that is, if you can get that across in that process, then that will help. You know, I guess some of their algorithms just filter on price. And if you're above a certain rate, you don't, they don't even look any further than that kind of thing. What I would add into this, I think that's a really good point, is like standing out in some way, whether that's how experienced you are, putting that in the note that you send with the demo yeah. that you go back. But what I would also add is like, 
a better use of one's time might be rather than trying to get work through these jobs boards that are managing everything for you is going directly yeah. to potential clients is trying to build up those relationships that way where you can have that communication you can I have that agree. personal contact but given that actually lots of people are using um, jobs boards for voiceover work that is a really valid question but that's what that was what my, my answer would be Helen you made a comment Helen B you made a comment earlier about ethics um, do you remember what you said? Um, not entirely. Um, it was about, it's basically about price points. And um, I've been doing a lot of research into ethical marketing and ethical selling, and actually including the 99p or the, the, the kind of not having whole numbers figure that you were saying that makes easier to negotiate is actually seen as an unethical way of selling because it is that deceptive. It, it can be deceptive. Can be. I'm not going to say it is deceptive. Yeah. It can have deceptive connotations. Yes. And I struggle with that. I, I have, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I hear you, Helen. And so, I mean, my, the, the book that I've just written the, the last full stop for on this week uh, and is coming out in the spring is called Change Their Mind and it's about ethical influencing. And it is, so it's exactly about that. And it's, it is on the idea that... Um, these days, there seems to be three main ways of influencing, one of which is shouting, which is which we see on social media. Another one is lying, which we see in politics. And another one is manipulation, which is we see in sales uh, and especially online sales and, you know, quite downright trickery. And I am totally against that. But you're right. A lot of these things, they're, they're tools and as such, can be used for deceit or can be used for, for, for good. And a lot of it does come down to intention. Is your intention for their best benefit? And if they feel, if they feel comfortable that your intention is their best benefit, and this goes back to the trusted advisor idea that as trusted advisor, you are there to bring your expertise to really help them get what they're after. And if they fully get that, then, then they'll trust that your intention is good and then use these methods for, for good. Now, conversely, they don't always do that. You know, they, they do play all of the tricks. They're saying, oh, you've got to do better than that. Oh, and your competitor's cheaper. They're playing all the tricks. So there's an, there's an element of, hmm, well, if they're going to play tricks, is it right if I don't play the same tricks kind of thing? Isn't it unfair if, I, if I'm the honest person, 100% honest person? If they're going to play a game, you might as well play the game. But, but, but I'm... T- because then you're speaking the same language. You're play, playing the same language. Exactly, exactly. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. But I totally believe in the trusted advisor approach. Nick, do you mind me sharing the example that, that Please you, you go gave? ahead. So, so Nick, Nick said that there was, she, she had a, a client who asked for a particular piece of work and, and she said, yeah, it's going to cost this. And they said, oh, that's too much for me. Can you do this? And she said, no, those are my rates. However, if you can't afford those rates... I can make a couple of recommendations. Either go on my social media and listen to my podcast and you can pick up lots and lots of tips there and you'll benefit a lot from that. Or I can recommend somebody else that you can work with who is cheaper than me and they're good. That person then came back and said, no, I want to work with you at the full price because they had... True story, true story. Because she'd (laughs) done that. She said, listen, these are my rates. I can do a great job for you and these are my rates. If you want to go... But I get you've got this problem so 
these are other possible ways of solving that problem. Now it's up to you. And because they've now got autonomy, they've got agency, they've got choice, they're now going to say, actually, this person sounds really good. I really want to work with this, but I really trust this person now. And so that fully trusted advisor, even if it is, do you know what, I'm not the right person for you in this job, I recommend this other person, is a brilliant place to be. Okay, great. Um, so thank you very much, Simon. So if you're listening to the podcast right now, everyone here in the workshop is going off into breakout rooms for some fun and rather intense negotiation exercises, <laughs> which we aren't recording. But for you, coming up, we have VO Louisa Gummer smashing her way through an absolutely brilliant explanation of why you're worth every single TVR you can charge. And some huge news. Uh, a deal has been struck between a global media company and the VO who claims they stole her voice. But yes. first... It's time for an ad break. Woo! No recording, pan a pan, on special today only. Gold standard remote recording collaboration tools. Oh, hello there. You look like you're a lady that knows what she wants. Oh, thank you very much. How much is it for a Source Connect subscription? Just $35 a month to you, me old mucker. Oh, I was sort of hoping it was free. Are you having a laugh? Source Elements has been around since 2005. Quality like this don't just pop up overnight, you know. All right, since you're clearly such a connoisseur, I'll give you the first 15 days free. How's that? Well, actually, I mean, that's great, but I just want it free forever, really. Can you believe this? She's trying to fleece me. (laughs) I tell you what, come here. There is something I can do, since you are so nicely. Source Connect now is free. But don't tell them I sent you. (gasps) Thanks very much. Source Elements. Connect. Collaborate. Create. Hello, I'm Dr Gillianne Kayes. I'm Jeremy Fisher from Vocal Process, and we recommend the SOVT straw because it helps you perk up your voice when it's feeling tired. It helps you improve your breath control and planning your breathing for speaking. It helps you be even more expressive by improving your range. It helps keep your voice consistent through those long sessions. And it helps you get to know when you're using too much effort, and it makes it easier. SOVT straw. They've taken care of the science, so you can take care of your voice. Get 15% off by clicking the link in the show notes and using the code VOSOCIAL. Still to come in the show, some huge news about Bev Standing, the VO who stood up to social media giant TikTok. I'm getting emotional. And a new new template contract from Equity that's going to make our lives a whole lot easier. But first... As you know, uh, we spent the summer gathering loads of best bits together at the One Voice conference. But there's one best bit that we saved until now. Yes, it's the best explanation of TVRs and the importance of quoting properly that we've ever, ever heard. Never, ever. Take it away, Louisa Gummer. So this is where the rate guides really come in because they help you understand what to consider, where there may be agreements that exist and what the standard rates are. So there's GFTB. There's GVAA in America for non-union work. Then there are other rate guides in other countries. For example, there's a a couple of rate guides that help you clarify and understand radio usage in Ireland. Uh, There's a union guide in Germany. There's there's lots of helpful guides out there for certain areas if you really haven't worked in them before. And then there is equities use fee, which is really useful for TV and online advertising usage. But major confusion comes with that. So I'm going to talk about it now. If I'm asked to quote for UK TV, I have the privilege of asking my agent to deal with that. 
but I know that not everyone has that luxury. So you do have to have a handle on the context of the figures you're dealing with and the terms that you're using so that you are confident that you are not either hugely overquoting or hugely being underpaid. And what is a TVR? Well, TVR stands for Television Rating, and it's defined as 1% of the audience. Now, when you're using use fee, its audience that it's talking about is UK national adults. So that is all the adults in the UK who watch TV. So one TVR, therefore, would be 1% of all the UK adults who watch TV. How many is that? Well, there are a number of estimates, but the one that a lot of people use is that there are 49 million adults in the UK who regularly watch the telly. And that would mean 1%, 100, one TVR, 490,000 people, about half a million. Why, why do we do this? Who uses these things? Ad agencies do. When they decide with their client how much advertising media budget there is for a particular campaign, and they plan spreading that budget across different media to reach the audience they want to talk to as cost-effectively as they can, all of which is the job of the media buyer, they agree a deal with a TV channel to buy airtime. They are agreeing how much they want to spend and how many people they want to talk to, how many TVRs they get for their DOSH, basically. So, use fee, first confusion, usefee.tv, it's for usage. It was designed to be used by both voices and actors in the commercials. You might have been booked for a lovely week in Spain. You might have gone all the way to Spain. It does not know that you spent two travel days, five days on set, and that you had a costume recall and everything else. It has no understanding of that because that's your shooting fee. Similarly, it does not know how long you spent in your studio. This is just for usage. You should always add on your recording fee afterwards on top. There is a way to look under the bonnet of Usefee. A lot of people look at Usefee, chuck some numbers in, press a button, don't really know what's going on. But you can go and find out. So um, there are these two links at the bottom of Usefee, one of which links to the equity agreement that underpins the whole thing, and another to a ready reckoner that gives you the basic calculations that are going on. Now, this equity agreement was between the IPA, which is a body that represents the main ad agencies, the uh, APA, which is the body that represents the main production companies who make the ads. Ad agencies develop the ads, but will use suppliers, production companies to make them. And the advertisers, the actual companies who advertise. So all the people, any company that is represented by one of those big bodies have signed up to this. It's not just some figures that came from nowhere. Now, the Ready Reckoner, I appreciate scary numbers, sorry. But in principle, what it's doing is it's telling you that TVRs are paid out on a sliding scale, where you get a set amount of money per TVR for the first 200, and then a slightly smaller amount for the next 200, etc. Because it was argued by advertisers, the more an ad is shown, the less effective it is. So therefore, a TVR is worth less to them later on in the campaign. Now, trust me on this, the Ready Reckoner assumes, one, that your BSF is £100 and tells you then that one TVR would, would earn you £7.41. Obviously, if your BSF is larger, that figure is larger. 
um, say your BSF was 250, two and a half times larger, you're, you would be paid 18 pounds, 52 and a half pence for one TBR. Caught half a million people would see your ad and you'd get 18 pounds and 52 and a half pence. But in the agreement, there is something called a one-off transmission fee. The very first time an ad is shown, you are paid a transmission fee and that equates to 100% of your BSF. Okay, that is additional to any cost for recording because, as I said, USEFI doesn't know how long you spent in the booth. So, that is where sometimes the confusion comes because when you look at USEFI, it talks about a fee additional to 100% of the BSF. That is not your recording time, it is your transmission fee. This is also why there is a new versus rerun option at the top because if you're going back to do more TVRs, the uh, transmission fee has already been paid. So, much as I said, you might get paid 18 pounds, 52 and a half pence for a TBR. It doesn't actually work like that because of the transmission fee. So let's assume BSF of 250 quid, 18 pounds, 52 and a half pence for your TBR, plus your one-off transmission fee, the first time that is shown of 250 pounds, plus your recording fee, because use fee doesn't do recording. So if the ad was only shown to 490,000 people nationally, you would still make, trust me, 518 pounds, 52 and a half p. So you shouldn't be signing any sort of television contract. And you see them on Mandy, for example, a lot that are offering you 250 quid buyouts. Now, you need some context for all of these, okay? Because sometimes we're dealing with big figures. £6,557.50 for 100 TVRs. And trust me, 100 TVRs is not a big campaign. So I understand that imposter syndrome can creep in. You're asking for a lot of money for basically sitting in the booth, probably saying three lines and 30 second commercial. So you have to know the context of these figures in the overall usage budget. There are various places that give you an idea of how much a TVR costs. But it is perfectly possible because of the way ITV publishes its sales figures, its profit figures, its, its watching figures, it is possible to know approximately how much ad agencies are spending to get one TVR for their clients. So in 2020, according to the TVAgency.com, the average cost of 100 TVRs, 49 million people, the cost to show every ad to that person in the country once to buy the airtime was... 342,901 pounds, which means that the figure you are quoting as a usage fee for voice is 0.68% of their media budget. Right, so, to be completely honest, I mm. don't often use a contract for voiceover work. No. I mean, do you? I, I, I just sort of, like, agree things via email and then people mm. tend to stick to it. Is that Yeah, you... I, I stuff in emails and that's about it. I've not yeah. had a... I've touched wood, not had a situation where it's either felt hugely necessary or, mm. or ended up biting me in the arse do you know what I mean right well like, that's the thing so, so I know that some people do use a contract but they it would seem to me are invariably people who have been bitten directly mm. on the bum by a, a sort of wayward client so I, can <laughs> I see love it. the difference in dialect there <laughs> bit me on the arse 
directly <laughs> on the bum. <laughs> well, anyway, the whole thing is definitely something that is clearly worth thinking about. So yes. here is Annette Rizzo from Equities Audio Committee to tell us all about a brand new template contract that the union have put together for us. News from Equity. This contract was the result of discussions that have been going on for several years. So there are other areas of the union where there are contracts in place, sort of contract templates. We didn't have one and we kept talking about it. And eventually it was actually Marcus Hutton who took the bull by the horns and said, let's crack on. And he did more than that. He went out and he found uh, Lewis Silkin, a very well-known, well-respected law firm, who were prepared to take on the task for a fraction of what it would have cost us under normal circumstances. So he has spent an awful lot of time, energy with Joe Farmer from Lewis Silken and also with the support of uh, Cathy Sweet and Shannon Sailing at Equity. And it has been ready this very month for launch and now it's, it's, it's ready to go. So it's a contract template. Uh, it's not going to solve everybody's problems and suit every need straight away, but it's there for members of the union to use. It includes a project outline. So it doesn't say audiobooks or radio commercials or whatever. Those are for you to fill out. But that's the point, is that a lot of us probably work via email with our clients. And that does have a legal standing, but that doesn't include everything. And I don't know about you, but I'm quite good at forgetting bits and pieces that probably should be in there. Well, this takes that and then puts it on steroids. So your project outline will include everything. It's what the job is, who the client is, whether there's a further end client, uh, what the permitted usage is. So is it for six months? Is it for a year? Where's it going? Is it going to go on the internet? Is it going to be social media? Uh, Is it going to be in specific territories or is it going to be global? If you like, it's a prompt because I wouldn't remember all of those things. So it's an excellent prompt. Um, And the other things like usage, again, sort of defining um, because you've got your project outline and then beyond that you have all the terms and conditions. So the legal language where things like BSF are defined and usage is defined. So it's useful for you and for your client if they care to read it, which I hope they will. I think the benefit is multiple. So I think obviously the, the straightforward, it's a contract. So you have to adapt it because it'll be job for job, client for client. So you fill in all those details. There's no uh, specific rates included on it. It's all up to you to fill in. Um, But it will give you the legal protection, which you would not have in the same way from just an email trail because of all those details that would be missing. Beyond that, I think it's actually going to give us a little bit more than that. It gives us awareness. So I think most of us aren't necessarily great business people. You know, creative practitioners and performers are not necessarily the the sharpest people about what their legal rights are and how things should operate in business and financial terms. So it's partly about raising awareness of what our legal rights are. You've got the contract itself uh, and you've also got a series of notes. It's not the most fascinating reading, but it's really important reading. So So if you remember, you download it all and you go through the notes and I would take notes on the notes, you know, highlight things and say, yeah, actually, this is relevant to me. I've never before considered what my intellectual property rights are. I've never even heard of kind of, you know, in terms of of contracts, things like moral rights and what are your kind of paternity rights, if you like, or paternal rights. Um, And and those things are all uh, listed and explained in detail. Contracts are one of the main points of business of a union. 
So if you get it, you download it, you look at it, and there are things you don't understand, or you work with it and it's brilliant for something, and then you take it to another job and you think, I don't know what to do with it for this. You go back to the union and you make contact and you say, what do I do? That's the business of the union. If you don't know, ask. That's actually really good because probably one of the reasons I've not used one is because I don't really know where to start. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just use that one. That's great. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm genuinely going to use it. Um, mm. not, not for everybody, probably, but for like maybe potentially new clients that I really don't know. Big ones, yeah. ones that smell fishy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly those. Um, so, right, two more things to tell you about. Don't switch off yet. First of all, we've been in touch with Bev Standing and she says that since she's now under NDA, she can't talk to us about it directly, but she can confirm that she has reached a settlement with TikTok after suing them Woo-hoo. for using her voice as their AI voice without her permission. Isn't it great? That's Sorry. what you get, TikTok. Yeah, that's what you get. (laughs) Anyway, this is incredible news for the industry. Mm. And it sends a message to other companies of all sizes that there will be consequences if they don't make sure they have the rights to use an AI voice. That's it. And it will hopefully be a a really great boost to other ongoing court cases along similar lines. I'm sorry, I couldn't say the word similar. It is a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Samalala, I think is what I said. Similar lines. Anyway. Do you want to redo it or should we just leave it in? No, just leave it, whatever. Oh, great. <laughs> um, and then finally, so this is the big thing that we've been working up to, all of this other stuff about like how to resolve your negotiation technique problems and all the stuff about the amazing contract from equity, blah, 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 big stuff on TikTok. Now it's all leading up to this. We have been working on something absolutely brilliant behind the scenes lately, and it's going to help people achieve everything they want to in their careers. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not going to tell you yet. We're going to tell you all about it in the next episode that is out next month on the 1st of December. We're really excited about what we've created, especially for you guys, for you guys, with a bit of input from special you guys. Like, yep, it's yep, yep. very exciting. Do sign up to the mail mailing list at thevosocial.com to make sure you get information. And when you get a feckin' email from us, open it. Because I am sick of people not hearing when we're doing things. The and abuse, then afterwards they're like, the abuse, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. know about it. It's like know. We emailed you about it. <laughs> There's only, apart from coming around your house with a big <laughs> stick and going, come here you, I'm poking you through the window. Have you heard? Like, we're not allowed to do that. So, like, please, for the love of God, if you want to know what we're doing and what we're creating, get on the mailing list open your feckin' emails, <laughs> join the Facebook group, follow us on Twitter. Is this too much? Am I going too much into this? It's just No, annoying. everybody should do everything that we demand. We love you all, all and we want time. you to know what we're doing and for you to <laughs> yeah. join in and like get all the information about the live episodes and all the fun masterclasses and stuff we're doing. But if you're not on the, on the mailing list and you don't open the mailings, you've only yourself to blame, all right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. TheVOSocial.com, sign up and open them. So, I've been Leah Marks. And I've been a very irate Nick Redman. <laughs> and, and I'm really sorry the social. <laughs> that we're the voice of social. <laughs> <laughs> Together till the end of the 